0: Welcome to Fertility Friendly Food, the podcast. My name is Stephanie Vlarkis and I'm an expert certified fertility dietitian and nutritionist and founder of The Dietologist, a multiple award-winning virtual fertility and pregnancy nutrition clinic serving thousands from around the world. And of course, the host of this pod, Fertility Friendly Food. This podcast is dedicated to all things health and nutrition in the world of fertility, reproductive health and pregnancy. Each week, I bring you practical snack size episodes to help improve your lifestyle on your trying to conceive journey, alongside guest expert interviews to help inspire you to learn and grow whilst you grow your family. Just quickly, are you currently trying to conceive or are you on a fertility journey? If so, you can feel like there are 101 things you could or should be doing when it comes to your preconception or fertility health. It's easy to get overwhelmed really quickly. This is exactly why we created our preconception lifestyle checklist. It's one page for you and one page for your partner categorized into supplements, diet, lifestyle and environmental factors, and we focus on the low-hanging fruit. These are simple but effective strategies known to help improve your health and well-being for fertility and also for a healthy pregnancy and a healthy baby too. Over 5,000 people have downloaded it already. Do you want your free copy too? Head to the link in the show notes now to swipe your free checklist. Okay, let's get into today's episode welcome back to another episode of fertility friendly food the podcast i'm your host stephanie expert fertility dietitian and nutritionist and founder of the dietologist and i am back with a solo ep today for one of our final episodes as part of our pcos mini series for the month of september which is pcos awareness month i hope you've been enjoying this series If you want more, don't forget, you can go back to last year's PCOS mini series as well and tune in for even more topics like lean PCOS, fertility, improving androgens and improving menstrual cycle regularity with PCOS as well but today I'm going to be discussing the emerging science around PCOS and mental health. Some of the statistics and the science around dietary changes to support mental wellbeing with PCOS. Now, before we go any further, it's important to clarify the following, and that is not at all what I am trying to propagate here or stand for. However, I am here to present what available information that we have about diet and lifestyle and mental health in the context of PCOS as a dietitian, as that's within my own scope of practice and we do get this question a fair amount from our clients who are wanting to use it as an add-on type of approach in alignment with other types of therapies to manage their mental health. And of course, mental health requires an incredible team approach, namely your GP or primary care provider, your psychologist and or psychiatrist, and sometimes other supports like dieticians, exercise physiologists, and more. Every story is unique, and there's so much strength and bravery in taking that first step in prioritizing your mental well-being. If you need immediate help for your mental health, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or call a Beyond Blue counsellor on 1300 22 46 36. These numbers will be linked for you in the show notes as well. And just a content warning that this episode does deal with the topic of disordered eating and eating disorders. Now, before we get into it today, we are back with a question, our community question. So don't forget, you can leave us a question anytime using a simple 30 second form, which is always linked in the show notes for you, or you can send us a voice memo on Instagram at the underscore dietologist. We haven't had any for a while, probably because I have totally spaced out on sharing the link in our Instagram stories for a little while, but I did so yesterday and we've got a couple through, so I'm excited to be answering your questions. Now, this question does discuss two very sensitive topics of pregnancy loss and termination for medical reasons or TFMR. These are topics that you would rather not hear about. Please fast forward about two or three minutes to the episode content, which will not be focused on those topics. So today's question from our listener is, how do you balance interpregnancy interval nutrition requirements in the context of pregnancy loss? My son was born at 22 weeks following a TFMR. Following our loss, I have hated my postpartum body, which had gained weight to support my pregnancy, but which let me down. At the same time, I'm trying to nourish my body to support hopefully healthier eggs and a healthy future pregnancy. Every day, there is a constant battle in my mind of wanting to restrict my caloric intake so that I can lose weight and also nourishing my body with healthy fats, carbs, etc. First of all, I just want to say how deeply sorry I am for the loss of your son and how difficult this time can be. Being postpartum without a baby in your arms can be extraordinarily challenging uh, psychologically. Uh, But also, yes, body image wise is something that we see quite a lot because there is this sense that it's a postpartum body, but it doesn't feel like it is because it wasn't what you imagined it would be. And that sense of your body has failed your you and your family is incredibly strong. The key to starting this process is actually seeking uh, psychological support, which I hope you are doing already one-on-one and working through these emotions and this attitude towards your body because this kind of motivation of hatred and disappointment and failure, sense of failure that your body let you down is a really negative place to come from when it comes to nutrition and changing your lifestyle. So I would strongly recommend working with your healthcare team here, really leaning on your psychologist, a great GP, your obstetrician, And also a dietician, if you're worried about your nutritional intake, which it sounds like you are, you're grappling between wanting to lose weight and also focusing on nourishing your body with a view of hoping to conceive again. And my answer to you is that, you know, what would we say to somebody who has just had a baby? We wouldn't be focusing on any kind of restriction at all. And we would need a good cooling off period when it comes to the nutritional management of it and meeting those unique requirements, which we did touch on a little bit in our episode about trying to conceive whilst breastfeeding with Lana. So my strong recommendation would be this is a situation where you absolutely Need one-on-one support, and general advice is just not going to cut it because it is a very unique uh, situation that requires a very individualized approach. But in the meantime, I would put your thoughts aside that your body failed you. It didn't, and there was nothing that you did or didn't do for this outcome to have occurred, and. Having a mentality of hatred towards your body is not going to serve you. If you can focus each day on nourishing yourself, it will serve you so much better, both mentally and physically. A state of restriction is going to probably worsen your mental health. So I would really recommend focusing on nourishment at this time and reach out for some one-on-one support. We'd love to support you. Okay, on to today's episode. Let's discuss mental health and PCOS, which is not a bad segue from our question about mental health and nutrition and the role of diet and lifestyle to support optimal mental well being with PCOS. So, a few stats for you the rates of depression in those with PCOS is 36 to 40%, the rates of anxiety with those with PCOS is 42%. Now, For reference, about 1 million Australians have an eating disorder. Keep in mind for those listening overseas, our population is in the realm of about 23-24 million people. And about 20% of all females have PCOS, of reproductive age at least. Now, obviously, eating disorders are not limited to a particular sex or gender. However, females are disproportionately reported to be impacted by eating disorders. So amongst those with PCOS... We have a rate of bulimia nervosa of 5.3%. Subclinical, which means not quite meeting the diagnostic criteria, but tending towards a diagnosis of anorexia nervosa of 1.1%, subclinical bulimia nervosa, 10.5%, and subclinical binge-eating disorder, particularly in those with a BMI over 30, is 50%. Whoa! That last statistic in particular is huge, but honestly, as a clinician in this arena, does not shock me in the slightest. Keep in mind, these are diagnosable or tending towards diagnosable eating disorders. In the case of subclinical, there is a whole spectrum of disordered eating tendencies that can precede these, and I can say anecdotally impacts many, many people with PCOS. So why are people with PCOS more affected by mental health concerns? There's a number of different reasons. Here are just some to, I guess, put some words to the conversation. First is self-esteem and body image related concerns. PCOS can cause skin concerns like acne or excess hair growth or hair loss thanks to elevated androgens like testosterone, which for many females can really eat away at self-esteem, and increased self-consciousness regarding their physical appearance. Furthermore, many people with PCOS report being at a higher body weight despite the improvements in the body neutrality and body acceptance communities, which we love to see. I can safely say that the beauty standards and ideals are still extremely strong and being in a larger body, especially when decently out of your control when it comes to PCOS Uh, which is underpinned by symptoms of cravings and insulin resistance and and insatiable hunger sometimes, it can be incredibly challenging to practice body neutrality and body acceptance. Some early thoughts about why we are seeing higher rates of anxiety and depression in PCOS are around hormonal imbalance uh, related to PCOS. However, the precise mechanism is really yet to be understood that links PCOS and anxiety and depression I also think the diet culture and recommendations to just lose weight can worsen or exacerbate underlying disordered eating tendencies. Sadly, the guideline-based advice of just lose 5 to 10% of your body weight often is given to people who are trying already really hard with their diet and lifestyle. As a bit of a catch-all, cure-all phrase, and this can cause the adoption of unhealthy lifestyle patterns like fasting, ultra-low-carb or ketogenic diets, and over-exercising, which can morph into disordered eating and eating disorders. We also see a role to play of genetics. We are beginning to understand that there are multiple genes that may influence the risk of developing PCOS and perhaps these could be genetic risk factors that are also related to mental health. We're yet to really understand that. Another burden on mental health for those with PCOS is the fear of future health concerns like type 2 diabetes, heart disease, hypertension and fertility concerns. And I think this is just really the tip of the iceberg. And certainly when we layer on top just the general prevalence of conditions like anxiety and depression and disordered eating in our community at large, there's naturally going to be a bit of a Venn diagram effect between PCOS and mental health as well. But we certainly see a marked increased risk of mental health concerns in those with PCOS. Now, let's talk about the role of diet and mental health. Now, historically beyond a general just eat healthy line of advice in kind of a self-care vein, uh, the focus when it comes to lifestyle and mental health has mostly been upon physical activity or exercise alongside other approaches like mindfulness, meditation, yoga, and of course, talking therapy. However, it was an Australian study called the SMILES trial aptly named that looked at people with depression and they placed them on a Mediterranean dietary pattern and compared the outcomes to those who attended a social support group. And it showed that the Mediterranean diet had the ability to improve depressive symptoms and improve their questionnaire scores more than the control group, which was the social support group, which is a really favorable outcome for the Mediterranean style diet. Now we've already talked in depth about the Mediterranean diet in multiple other episodes, including in this mini series with Candace comparing dietary approaches for PCOS. So definitely go back and have a listen to that one if you haven't already. Now, why? Why would diet, particularly the Mediterranean diet, be so beneficial to mental health outcomes? And of course, this wasn't in a PCOS cohort, but it's interesting nonetheless. Well, The story is we don't quite know yet. The thought may be on the impact of the diet on the gut-brain axis, which is a two-way highway between the brain and the gut microflora and the gut function and vice versa. So the gut can also influence the way that the brain and and mood is, is operating as well, which has been identified as a modifiable element when it comes to mood. Now, of course, I'm not trying to say just change your diet and your mental health problems will be gone. Obviously not, but I am often asked by people who are seeking advice already from a psychologist and or psychiatrist who perhaps are using medications to manage their mental health conditions to help support their care overall. And spoiler alert, if you haven't already, a Mediterranean style diet is pretty beneficial overall to PCOS too. So there are certainly no losses there. And that's something we talked about a couple of episodes back. So, there is a bit of a caveat here with lean PCOS. So, I just wanted to make a note that people with lean PCOS, which is a topic I've discussed in depth in last year's PCOS mini series with Dr. Isabel Smith, who's an endocrinologist. So, I'll leave the link there to get up to speed on lean PCOS in the show notes. There is a significant overlap in those with PCOS who could also qualify or instead qualify for a diagnosis of functional hypothalamic amenorrhea. Definitely visualize a Venn diagram here and many people with HA struggle with an eating disorder or significant disordered eating and related mental health concerns too. So we certainly can't leave out those with lean PCOS from the mental health and PCOS conversation too. So To wrap up, mental health concerns are very prevalent amongst those with PCOS. Regular screening and discussions about it as healthcare providers is key. Avoiding generic diet and lifestyle recommendations, especially around dietary restrictions and weight loss, which can negatively impact those on the spectrum of disordered eating and those with underlying subclinical eating disorders. I think as well an overprioritization of physical health can occur a lot in those with PCOS at all life stages, particularly with those looming risks of future type 2 diabetes and heart disease and metabolic syndrome, that it can really overshadow mental health. So inviting mental health into the conversation, raising it with your provider is so, so important. And yes, whilst there is some evidence around the Mediterranean dietary pattern being helpful, don't rely on just your lifestyle to prioritize your mental health work with your healthcare team so you can feel mentally well okay that is a wrap on our pcos mini series for this year i hope you enjoyed it don't forget that if you did head on over to apple podcasts and spotify leave us a five star rating and mention our pcos mini series in your review to let others know we would be so so grateful. We can help you one-on-one with your very own PCOS nutrition plan that considers both your physical and mental health. We have an especially designed PCOS nutrition coaching program with next level support, including access to our incredible online course, the PCOS project. You can click the link in the show notes to apply to work with us one-on-one and we can't wait to meet you soon in our virtual clinic. Thanks so, so much for tuning into this episode. Don't forget to hit follow on your favorite podcast streaming platform and share it with your partner, friend, family member, colleague or fellow PCOS bestie and share the love and tag us on socials. We love to see you tuning in. And until next time, everyone, bye. Just quickly, are you currently trying to conceive or are you on a fertility journey? If so, you can feel like there are 101 things you could or should be doing when it comes to your preconception or fertility health. It's easy to get overwhelmed Really quickly. This is exactly why we created our preconception lifestyle checklist. It's one page for you and one page for your partner, categorized into supplements, diet, lifestyle, and environmental factors. And we focus on the low hanging fruit. These are simple but effective strategies known to help improve your health and well being for fertility and also for a healthy pregnancy and a healthy baby, too. Over 5,000 people have downloaded it already. Do you want your free copy too? Head to the link in the show notes now to swipe your free checklist. Okay, let's get into today's episode. Fertility Friendly Food, the podcast, acknowledges the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognizes the continuing connections to lands, waters, and community. We pay our respects to First Nation cultures and to the Elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all First Nations people tuning in today. This podcast is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation.